are again to worship. Isn't it amazing how Sunday morning comes around, I mean, it comes around very regularly, doesn't it? We uh, go through the week and we have all kinds of things happening, all types of activities, and then Sunday morning rolls back around and there's an expectation, hopefully in your household and in our community, that people would go and they would worship collectively the God who has done great things. That's what we come together to do. I mean, isn't, isn't that our heart? Or should that not be our heart to gather with God's people to be able to praise Him collectively and corporately? Now, this morning, I was trying to get my thoughts together, and I was uh, reading through my notes, reading through the Scripture once again. And as I was doing that, uh, I kind of came to a moment of pause and you know, I was getting ready and stuff, and I said, well, let me just see. Let me just kind of check in with social media and see what's happening. Never should do that on Sunday morning before I get into this pulpit, okay? But I saw one of my friends uh, on Facebook that she was talking about how she was taught when she was younger how she ought to go and join or be a part of a church on Sunday morning. And how that she had received such insight through the years, such reflection, that she was able to break free from that thought. And she was able to experience God simply by herself in all kinds of other areas. And of course, as I was reading down through that, I thought to myself, you know, you and I, we should not simply go to church or worship just because we've been taught to do that. Now, I think we ought to teach our kids to go. I think we ought to teach our grandkids to go. But that's not just the reason. We don't do this simply out of ritual. I hope we don't. I hope we don't just go to church on Sunday because that is what we're supposed to do. We go, we gather with a corporate body of Christ in order to worship the only true God, the only one that's really made a difference in our life. We are coming to celebrate and extol and adore Him. That should be our hope. And that's what we should be passing on to the generations after us. It's not just about the practice. It's not just about the ritual. It is about God doing something dynamic through the people of God joining together. And that is what Paul was trying to get across in Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians 5, Paul is trying to remind us that as we see Christ Jesus and what he's done for us, it affects us in our worship. Paul is trying to remind us that as we surrender ourselves to the Holy Spirit of God, as we submit to his filling in our lives, then that will produce an attitude and an action of worship. That's what Paul is saying. And we pick up in this conversation. I love the way he does it because it is so practical. It is so practical. He has set the theology for us. He has set the foundation. And then he says, this is how it plays out in your life. And he tells us in verse 19 of that fifth chapter, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. He says, if you have been an imitator of Christ or you are imitating him now. He said, if you have completely yielded yourself to the Holy Spirit of God. 
then you will find this corporate moment of worship. You will find these opportunities to sing, to shout, and to submit in the presence of God. Let me show you again as, as we read this. Verse 19, again, what he says is he says, In our worship, we will sing. We will sing. Now this morning, we've already consumed a lot of time with music and singing. We've done it here. You've done it there in the gathering. We have worshiped together through song. Why do we do that? Again, is it just simply because that's the tradition? I remember when I was growing up and I would go to the local church, there would be three hymns and a special music. Any of you like, there had been like a call to worship. There might have been some announcements given. There would be two more hymns, and then you would have a special. It might be a choir special. It might be an individual that would be singing. That would just kind of be the way it was. This was the tradition of the church that I grew up in and a lot of other churches that you would find back in that time. That's, that's the way we did things. But did we do it just, just because? Because, I mean, hey, three hymns because the sermon was going to have three points, right? There was some theological connection there, I guess. Why do we do that? Why do we sing so much? Because the Bible tells us we ought to sing. Because it is the natural response of God's people to his grace, to his work. In worship, in our worship, we will sing. And I love the way Martin Luther some years ago said. Martin Luther said that, he said that Satan, the devil, is a sad spirit. And his intent is making other people sad. He cannot stand cheerfulness. Thus, he cannot stand the people of God singing and worshiping Jesus Christ. He will get as far away as he can when he, hear, when he will hear the voices of the people of God singing. And that is the reason I think Martin Luther said that his intent was for every believer to have two things. One, the scripture in his or her own language. He believed that the Scripture, the Word of God, should be translated into the specific language of the individual so the individual could know the Word. And you know what he said? The second thing they should have? A hymn book. A hymn book. So they could sing. And of course, he wrote different hymns. And when we come to worship, we will sing. We will sing because we have been given that instruction in Scripture, and it grows out of our very nature. Verse 19 again says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart of the Lord. In other words, when you have submitted yourself to the Holy Spirit, when you have recognized what Christ Jesus has done, it is just very natural that you will turn your voice to heaven. The voice is the greatest human instrument that has ever existed we are able to speak, we are able to sing to the praise of the Lord. Now, some of you in this place, you say, I can't sing. And some of you write. <laughs> At least you can't sing on a certain key that you're supposed to sing. But let me say this to you. All of us, all of us ought to use our voices 
to praise the Lord. All of us. All of us ought to sing. Now, when we sing, we will sing, we will sing to everybody we can. Did you hear this? Did you hear what he said? He said, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing melody. In other words, this is a corporate event, right? That's what he's saying, to one another. He's, he's not saying you just stay home and sing in your closet. Now, I hope you have personal moments of worship. I hope you sing individual. I hope you can praise the Lord. I love, I love to be able to just be in my car by myself or my truck by myself and listen to the radio or whatever and just sing by myself. That, there's nothing wrong with that. But there's also a place for corporate worship. There's a place for the people of God coming together so that we can sing to everybody. So that we can join our voices. That's what he says. And what I love about this is that even if you don't sing on key, you can still sing because you know what? It's kind of, your voice gets kind of melded into everybody else's. You can kind of pretend. You know, that's your voice. You kind of know that. But you can pretend it's the voice of the guy next to you if you want to. You can just switch. Switch voices. Say, that's my voice. I'm singing with him. He, that's, I just sing because I sing together corporately and collectively. It doesn't matter if you can sing just exactly what needs to be sung every moment or every key. Just to sing, just to praise the Lord. There was a guy, Mr. Wade. Mr. Wade lived about three quarters of a mile from Birmingham Ridge Baptist Church. And when we went to church every Sunday, we would see Mr. Wade walking. Mr. Wade would, at that time, was probably in his 70s. And he was walking from his house to the church. And when we got to the church, we would all find our seats. Yes, the assigned seats we had. That's the reason we got there so early. Unfortunately, it was not to prepare our hearts for worship. It was to prepare our seats so nobody else would get it. We would go. We would sit there for a while. We would visit with different people around. Mr. Wade would come in. Every Sunday, I think still to this day, because the pastor that pastored me, Brother Bobby, is still there. He's been there 48 years at Birmingham Ridge Baptist Church. And I know what ha will happen this morning, same as it does every Sunday morning. Brother Bobby will come out the side door, followed by the music director. They will come and they will sit on the platform. And as they are coming, the choir will make its way into the choir loft. Back then, when I was there, you would see Mr. Wade being one of the last men to come in to sing. He would come in. They would have, of course, their music and we would begin singing. You could hear Mr. Wade. You could hear him very clearly. He was about a step and a half off key from everybody else. And he was about one bar behind everybody else. He was dragging a little bit. But you could hear him. And I remember in those early days of my life hearing him and thinking to myself, man, he doesn't need to be in the choir. He needs to. But the older I grew, and even to this day, the more I recognize the faithfulness of that man who walked to church every Sunday morning, who never missed, who was in that choir, who was singing. 
he might not could do his best, or he could do his best. It might not be the best for others. But I guarantee you, out of his heart and who he was, he was singing to the Lord. He was singing for everybody to know. I remember quite distinctly when the Lord called him home. <laughs> for all those years being in the choir of Birmingham Ridge Baptist Church, for all those years that had prepared him for walking into the presence of the greatest worship session that he had ever seen, I believe that he experienced a healing of the Lord. I believe that he experienced for the very first time the voice that was perfect, a voice that could sing with all type of fullness and completeness. I believe that he joined the choir that was greater than any had ever known. I believe that simply through his faith and his trust in the Lord Jesus that had been represented here on this earth, that he was able to join that worship band itself. Folks, I don't care what kind of voice you have. You and I all need to be like Mr. Wade. We need to be lifting it to the Lord. Again, corporately, singing to one another that we will sing to everybody we can. You are not a spectator when you come here on Sunday morning. Now, I don't like a lot of dialogue, a dialogue while I'm preaching, okay? So you don't have to answer every question. You don't have to, like, tell me what. But during the worship, you are to be singing. You are to be participating. This is not a spectator sport. Do you think there's going to be a sideline for you to sit on in heaven itself? You need to get ready. You're going to be lifting your voice for all of eternity in praise and adoration to the Lord. We will sing the word for sing. The word for singing in our English translation is addo, which I believe will give rise to the Latin adoratio and the idea of adoration. It is the idea that we sing and we adore Christ Jesus. We will sing in every way we can. We will sing to everybody we can and we will sing in every way we can. Look at what the scripture says. The scripture says in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Psalms, that category of music somewhat easy to identify. You're talking about those Psalms of the Old Testament, the ancient hymn book of Israel, and how they had been set to music. So they would sing the old stuff, the Psalms. Then they would sing the hymns. Now what's interesting to me is that the hymns of this day and age, the hymns of the New Testament age, I should say, those hymns were the those were the new songs. According to what I understand, even Augustine, as he went back and tried to really figure out what the hymns would be, the hymns would be anthems of praise to Jesus Christ in particular, directed toward God. That's how they would identify these hymns. And they were hymns, early ones. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 that we're going to look at later. Those types of Passages reflected the hymns. The hymns were the new stuff. Now, usually when I'm thinking about hymns, I'm thinking about the old stuff, right? I'm thinking about victory in Jesus and old rugged cross and at Calvary. But actually, the hymns 
of the New Testament would have been the new stuff. And then you have the spiritual songs. What are the spiritual songs? The spiritual songs, as identified by Augustine and others, the spiritual songs of the New Testament church would have been like the testimonials. Those would have been songs not necessarily of... Of, of deep theology, oh, it'd have theology, but not the deep theology of to God Himself. But these would be just the personal testimonies. Again, they include theology, just like the Psalms do. The Psalms are personal testimonies of the day, but they would be personal testimonials. I look at all of that, and what does that say to me? It says to me that they used all of them. They used every genre that they could find. They used every opportunity to be able to worship and to sing, and they wanted to use all that they had at their disposal. You know why? Because our God is so great, he deserves everything we can give him. So I say, let's sing the hymns. Let's say, let's sing. Let's sing the new stuff. Let's sing whatever, because God is still working just as God moved upon Fanny Crosby and many others of the day. God still moves in his own way to write and to inspire music that will lead us into a place of worship. Paul says, you use it, whatever it is. Paul says, you sing. We will sing to everybody. We will sing in every way. And we will sing with everything that we have, that we can. Uh, reading through this, it says, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. I see some of you use that as escape, escape there. See, Reggie, when I'm in worship, I'm singing in my heart. Well, that's awesome, because you ought to be singing in your heart, but you also ought to be singing vocally. Notice what it says. It says, singing... That you, are, that you are making melody as well in your heart. When you study that original language, it is really hard to, it's really hard to get your mind wrapped around like where this is emanating from. Like there is no preposition in. When you look at the case, it could be in your heart, from your heart, with your heart. It could be any of those translations. Actually, it's based on context, trying to figure it out. But making melody in your heart or from your heart or with your heart in an instrumental type of way. I love the way I think Paul, writing on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, leaves it so vague. Because it is all of the above. When we make melody, we make it in our heart, do we not? We make it from our heart. We make it with our heart. Because it is the inner being of our lives that would be touched. It is important that our passion is awakened and that we are worshiping him. Uh, Jack Hayford some years ago pointed out to 1 Corinthians 14, 15. He said, which says, which says, the text itself says, So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I'll also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I'll also sing with my mind. And Hayford went on to say that the words of Scripture reveal the worship is neither an exercise of barren intellectualism or thoughtless emotion. Worship involves the total human being, spirit, mind, emotions, and body. Worship involves all of us. That's what Paul, I think, was teaching here. That it's all about your singing, your physical 
uh, praise to the Lord, but also what is going on in your heart and in your life. Worship should involve the totality of your being. When I sing, I ought to be able to sing with my mind. I ought to know, I ought to understand the words, I ought to process those words. Colossians chapter 3 that we looked at some weeks ago, chapter 3 verse 16 says that we ought to teach and admonish one another in these psalms, in these hymns, in these spiritual songs. So in other words, when I sing, when I look at the words, I need to understand the truth behind them. And it ought to have some pretty good theology and doctrine behind it. If you want to have a test, the test is, does this song really represent the truth of Christ, the truth of the Scripture? Does it bring me into a greater relationship with Him? Is it something that appeals to my mind? Because when we come here, it is not thoughtless emotion. It is how God affects my mind. How God touches my mind. It touches my heart. It does touch my emotion. Absolutely. Absolutely. Again, I love to be able to sing with a group of people. I, there, there's something dynamic. There's something different about singing with a group. I love to be able to come do that. Sometimes I ask Leslie to sing with me. She won't sing with me anymore. She says I get on her part every time. It doesn't matter. We can just sing together, sing freely, and sing from our hearts. Sing with everything that we have, our passion. Even Aristotle said that music represents the passions of the soul. And if one listens to the wrong music, he will become the wrong kind of person because it's all out of your passion, who you are. If your passion is for the Lord Jesus and you're singing his music, you're singing his work, it's going to impact you back. It's going to be like a circular type of influence. Your heart to him, him back to your heart. So in worship, we will sing. Notice what else he says. He says, in worship, we will shout. Now, that makes some of you nervous. Actually, I did grow up with a bunch of shouting Baptists up in North Mississippi. Not always. Kind of scared me a time or two. I had to get myself together, but sometimes. But what do I mean by this? When I look at verse 20, I hear a shout of thanksgiving. I hear a clear declaration, proclamation of thanks given to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things to God, the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says. Again, what do we do? We shout to everybody we can. He says, always, always be grateful. So everybody I come in contact with, everybody whose path I cross... I want them to know the gratitude that I have for the Lord Jesus and what he's done in my life. I'm not saying we can't be real with people, but folks, God needs to turn some of our complaints into thanksgivings. Do you ever see somebody walking up to you and you think to yourself, I ought to ask them how they're doing? I ought to. It's the right thing. It's a Christian thing. But I don't want to. I know what they're going to say. They're going to tell me how bad their life is. They're going to tell me, and I'm not saying we shouldn't care for people and we should hear their truth, we should hear their brokenness, but listen, every now and then when you go across somebody and you ask them how they're doing, shouldn't they give you some story about how the Lord Jesus has worked in their lives? 
It shouldn't always be about complaints. I want to give thanks always. I want to give gratitude to the Lord Jesus for who he is and what he's done. I want to tell everybody. I want to tell everybody I can. There was a medieval legend. A medieval legend of God sending two angels here to this earth. Now again, it's just a legend, just a fable. But according to this medieval legend, God sent two angels to this earth to gather up the prayers of his people. One was to gather the petitions of his people. The other was to gather the thanksgiving of his people. The one who was charged with gathering the petitions, he couldn't carry them all back in one load. He had to come back time and time again to bring the petitions from God's people to God, according to the medieval legend. But the other one, who was coming to gather up the thanksgivings, well, it is told in the legend that he was able to make one trip with one handful of praises, gratitudes from the people. And while that is a legend, is it not so true in so many different ways that if God were to look at us, there would be all kinds of petitions, but there would be so few thanksgivings. Giving thanks always to everybody as we see them, letting them hear the thanksgiving. We will shout thanks to everybody we can. We will shout thanks in every way we can. I love it in verse 20 because it says, giving thanks always for all things. Always, all things, basically same form of the same word. If you look at it in the original language. He says, we give thanks for all such blessing. Listen, you and I are greatly blessed by the very, by the very, idea the very privilege of being able to sit here today we are very blessed and we are to give thanks we are to shout thanks in every way we can for all those things some years ago Leslie was reading a, a series it was it's an older book now or older series it was called the Midford series it featured a Episcopal priest, I believe, Father Tim. And one day, Father Tim got into the pulpit and he opened up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, and he read it. In everything, give thanks. He closed his Bible and he sat down. That was his message for the day. Leslie said, don't you think you ought to start preaching those kind of sermons, Reggie? <laughs> I said, it is very significant, and it, it is, a, is a great, great story, but that stuff's fiction. You know, I've, I got to preach. I got to, but oh, it's in everything, give thanks. In the original language of 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, it is in every. It doesn't actually say in everything. It just says in every or in all. You, you could translate it. It's, it's kind of like understood. In everything, 
in every way, in every possibility, in every kind of song, in, ev in every. Because we have been blessed, all blessings. And who do we thank? Ultimately, we thank God. Because, see, this is where I, I see people today. People today in our culture, they'll say, oh, yeah, I'm blessed. They just forget who the blesser is. It's more than just saying, I'm going to give thanks. It is saying, I will give thanks to God the Father. Because he is the one who has given every good gift. Your children, your grandchildren, your siblings, your parents, your livelihood, your vocation, your house, your food that you will eat at lunch, everything that you have is from him. And when we gather to worship, we sing and we praise, but we also shout the thanksgiving that he alone deserves. He is the reason we have what we have, all of the blessings. And he says we do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ because we will shout with everything we can. What do we have? We have Jesus. And he allows us to shout in his name with every fiber of our being. His name, synonymous with his personhood. So when I come, I come in the name of Jesus. I don't just pray in the name of Jesus. I sing in the name of Jesus. I shout in the name of Jesus. I live in the name of Jesus. Everything about me should be consumed in the person, in the work of Jesus Christ. We will shout, Oh, in the Lord. In the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord means, obviously, he is the one who is sovereign. He is, he is commander over me. He is the one that I should ultimately submit to. And because of my submission to him, it affects my submission to others. That's where verse 21 comes in. Because we, in our worship, we will sing. In our worship, we will shout. In our worship, we will submit. Now, some of you find that strange. Submit? What do you mean by that? Submit and worship? That's, that's not one of those things we think about actively when we're together corporately worshiping. Submit? The word submit is a military term which means that you would defer to, the, to others as the true authorities. Now, I do believe that there are some hierarchical structures, like in the family. I think parents ought to have authority over children. Right? Yeah, we got a lot of work I got to do in that sermon coming up here. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, we'll look at it. I believe there's authority, some type of inherent authority that uh, bosses have over us at work. I believe there's inherent authority that the government has over us. I believe, there's, I believe there's structures of authority. So what Paul's saying here does not diminish that. It actually just, it actually just adds to what he's saying. What he's saying, though, is that we will practice humility and submission to everybody. There are some structures that God's put in place. 
But when I think about the church in general and I'm in a worship, what I want to do is make sure that I'm humbling myself before my other brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not just about me. It's about my fellow believers. It is voluntarily yielding to them in love. So Paul was in house arrest, under house arrest in Rome when he wrote the book of Ephesians. He also wrote a few other letters during that time. He wrote Philippians. He wrote Colossians. He wrote Philemon. I often say Colossians is the companion of Ephesians, but even Philippians, written in the same time frame. Obviously, Paul had this on his mind because in Philippians 2, in verse 3, just, just a page or so over in your scripture, it says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Did you hear what? I mean, that's the same thing he's saying about submitting to one another, that we're submitting to everyone we can. He's just saying, he's saying, it's not about you. Don't let it be about your pride. You, don't, don't let it be about your own desires and, and, and taste. And he said, esteem others better than yourself. Look around this room and see individuals that, that you would humble yourself with to foster a spirit of unity and ministry. Hey, this is counter-cultural. The culture says you don't yield to anybody. The culture says it's all about your rights. The culture says it's all about your pleasure and desire. The culture screams at you and tells you that you must get your way. But what the scripture teaches you and teaches me is that you and I need to yield our own selfish desires. And we ought to esteem those of our brothers and sisters in Christ better than ourselves. We yield to everybody we can in a spirit of holiness, in a spirit of appropriateness, but we will submit in every way we can. Because again, in Philippians 2, verse 4, it says, Let each one of you look not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Also for the interest of others. I come, show up at a potluck. I'm expecting five lemon ice box pies. Why? Because that's my interest. But instead of coming to a potluck and saying, I want five lemon ice box pies, I hope they've prepared them for me. What I ought to say is, you know, you know what? There are a couple of people around here like chocolate pie. And it's not bad. <laughs> I'll be okay. Maybe they'll fix a chocolate pie for them. Because it's not about my own interest. And you know we laugh about that, but there are a whole lot of proverbial lemon ice box pies around the church. And we say, this is what we want. This is how we want it. Folks, I'll tell you, this church is not about Reggie Bridges. This church is not about you. This church is about serving one another, ministering to one another, because the Lord Jesus Christ is the only one that is worthy of such service and adoration. We submit to one another. 
As we submit to his lordship, we submit him. Why? Because, again, Christ is our example. I couldn't help but, again, look at Philippians 2 because there, verses 5 through 11, almost all New Testament scholars say this is a hymn that was written in the New Testament age. And it was used by Paul here to remind us of the humility of Jesus. That we can submit with everything we can because Jesus did. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on earth, of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So often we do emphasize the exaltation of Jesus and, oh, what, how awesome that is to know that he is exalted and he will be exalted forevermore. But don't forget... The reason he was exalted was because he humbled himself. The point of the hymn was more about turning your heart and your mind toward Christ's mind of humility. He gave himself up. You and I are to give ourselves up selflessly for one another. We are to crucify our ambitions. We're to be sacrificial. And we're to emulate Hey, we're to sing, we're to shout, we're to submit. And we're to do all of this as a corporate body in our worship. In other words, when you leave here after you've sung and after you have shouted, you should be in submission to one another. This is an action item. I've submitted not only to the Lordship of Jesus, but I've submitted to my brother and sister in Christ. And we should be in unity. Let me give you this finally. Verse 19 of Ephesians 5 that we were looking at says, Making melody in your heart to the Lord. I went back and was studying that passage. I'd never noticed this before. The word your is plural. It could be translated like y'all. Making melody in y'all's heart. Okay? Y'all. See, it's... These, you know, translators, they can't get this. You and I could get this, all right? Y'all's heart. So your is plural, heart is singular. Y'all's collective heart. You see this? As much as I talk about individual, it's not just about individual. As much as I hear people say, oh, I can just worship the Lord on my own, and you can. But you also should worship him together collectively with one heart as the people of God. Making melody in y'all's singular heart means unity. If you submit to one another, there'll be unity. If you shout thanksgiving, there'll be unity. If you sing with everything you got, there's unity. Because we understand and know that Jesus Christ, He is our everything. 
is our worship itself. And that is the reason we can come practically and sing. We can come practically and shout. We can come practically and submit to one another. Would you hear God's word? Would you recommit yourself to worship in spirit and in truth and to follow him? Would you say, Lord, I want to give myself away to others. I want to submit. Father, I want to sing. I want to shout. Father, I want to worship you the way I should. Because through those moments of corporate worship, we can see God's presence manifest in tremendous and awesome, powerful ways. But may we yield to His Spirit and to His work in our lives. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for this morning. Thank you for the moments that you've given us. God, to be able to join with our brothers and sisters in Christ right here. To mix our voices together in one voice of praise. To be able to shout to you our gratitude, our thanksgiving. To be able to come and to say, Lord, our submission is to you and to your people. God, thank you. And God, I pray now that you'd move through this moment of commitment and invitation. There's some here in this place that need to be a part of this local church. And they need to come and they need to be officially, Lord, just, just committed here in this place. Father, there's some who just need to get on their knees and just say thank you. There's some of us who, Lord, need to yield to your lordship and to your spirit's emphasis. Be with us and speak to us right now during this moment. We pray it in the name of Jesus.